episode 35 featuring Marianne Kersichi and Todd Meredith from Alibi Cannabis in Portland, Oregon. You guys, thank you so much for being here with us today. It is an honor to have you. I appreciate you. Oh, Thanks thank you. Us. It's so great to be here with you. We're really excited yeah, to chat with you. How, and this, this, either one of you all can go first. I'm going to go assume ladies first on most of these questions. Um, we're Alibi Cannabis, y'all are one of the OGs in Oregon in this recreational market. I don't know too much about the history dating back through medical, but before we get too far into details and the weeds and the grow and all the good juicy details, can you guys go ahead and introduce yourselves and talk to me a little bit about what Alibi Cannabis is or what y'all do? Yeah, um, so Alibi Cannabis, we Todd and I founded it about five years ago. And like you said, we're, we've been in the Oregon rec market almost since the beginning. And um, I got into the cannabis business through um, a, a cancer, through cancer treatments that I was going through. I, about six years ago, I was diagnosed with cancer and a friend gave me some cannabis and said, hey, you really should try this. It'll help out. And it did. And when I was just finishing up my treatment, um, Todd and I met through a mutual friend and we're like, you know what, we should we should do this. So we found some land and started the business and we had no idea what we were getting into. I think it's one of these things that's a little bit scary if you know everything. So it's good that we didn't. And, um, you know, we really hustled and have worked really hard to be the best that we can be and excited to be here. Hell yeah. I appreciate that. And thank, and, and thank you for sharing that information as well. I know it, it, cancer is such a scary thing for so many people. It's such a serious powerful uh, um, part of this world and the reality that we have. And so it's beautiful that you guys were able to come together and help other people and find us, find a potential solution for a lot of people. Uh, I used to be a bud tender myself in Seattle and I can't tell you how many pre-rolls and tinctures and, you know, all the different products that are available. It, it truly does help the patients. And so, you know, I just want to show a little love and respect for that and, and, and grace towards, towards your strength for, for, for doing that for everybody. Well, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I'm, I'm, you know, excited. My experience was five years ago, but like now it's even better. We know so much more. And, you know, I'm excited that five years from now, it'll be even like the research will have really caught up to the plant. There's, there's so much more that's out there that we haven't even begun to uncover. 100%. And then, and Todd, so you, you, um, you, you know, you guys networked, you guys connected somehow. Uh, talk a little bit about, you know, your role in this in this wonderful uh, endeavor that you guys have, have taken upon yourselves. Yeah, thank you. So Marianne mentioned that we met, um, where was it been, five years ago, right, Marianne? Yeah, five or six. And she kind of wasn't from the, the cannabis game. Um, I'm born and raised or, uh, Oregonian. And um, so I had been in the rec uh, medical side for quite some, for some time. Um, I built out a dispensary here locally. For a company actually out of California, when Oregon used you have to they used to have to be an Oregon resident at the time. So a friend of mine had a company, and they wanted a dispensary. So I had built that out. I ran that for some time, and then I also had worked at a um, kind of a headed up a, a wholesale operation. So I felt like I understood the market uh, pretty well, and so we had met, and I said we should you know we kind of put our heads together and said hey we should do this. And I said, Marianne, I won't let you down. Um, you know, let's 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 go ahead and, and, and do this. You should say I'll trust you. And so I I am the head of sales for Alibi Cannabis. Um, Marianne does a ton of the back end stuff. I I sell um, all of our product, and then we have a, a really lean team. So we have a grower, just a couple of employees, and we keep it very efficient that way. And and so far we've done pretty well by just uh, following some business principles that we both have garnered uh, from the from our past business experience. That was outside of the cannabis industry, actually. So that's about it. So, so I, when I'm, one thing that's always stands out to me when I hear about how people come together in cannabis to create these businesses is they always touch on their experience outside of cannabis and, and the impact that it has. A lot of people sometimes skip over it. Some people are true born and raised cannabis. They haven't really done much else sometimes with the family situations that they had. Gets crazier the further south and the further north you get into Oregon and, Nor and NorCal sometimes, how like the mm -hmm. generational family stuff. Can you, uh, you know, I don't know too much about your background, Todd, in terms of that. Are you, How much time have you been in that Oregon game and where has the majority of your time been in that? Is it, is it on the cultivation side? Is it on the logistics and distro and packaging and things or? You know, my background actually was not uh, 
you know, I, I've been a user since uh, I'm an Oregonian, so probably, you know, younger, you know, uh, whatever, teens or whatnot. Um, not heavy, but then as you, you know, you get older, I, I'm not really much of a drinker, so I'd use it, I'd use cannabis more and more. And just in Oregon, it was kind of the thing to do. It was, it was, it, was, it wasn't really frowned upon out here, but my background was uh, more financial. I, I traded futures in Chicago oh, for uh, quite a few years, and I was really interested in the financial markets. And so, that's my background. And then I was um, also, uh, what did I do? I was, I worked for a, um, a packet, a pharmaceutical packaging company. We did temperature controlled pharmaceutical packaging. So, um, you know, I had, I had experience setting up warehousing and, and operations, basically operations management. Um, so it, it's, it kind of is, is definitely not all cannabis uh, at all. It's like a coming like together that. of the team though, because it's like you bring a lot of skill sets and, and things that the a, a cannabis business does need those things. But if you just look at cannabis, like growing and selling weed, okay, maybe you don't necessarily have all that. Now that means if you're, if you, that's kind of your background and a lot of your time was spent there. Sounds like Marianne was growing the dankest weed and, and, and extracting and doing all the dabs. So Marianne, tell me a little bit about your background when, you know, you, you, you know, cancer becomes a part of your life. You start looking and experiencing cannabis, you start looking for other, you know, things and solutions or opportunities. Let's rewind it back a little bit for that. What were you doing leading up to, to all that? And how does that translate into cannabis as well? Yeah. Um, it's really interesting how people come to this industry because you could come from anywhere with any story and it's all, it's all really interesting. And I think it's, it's a fabulous, um, way to look at people's paths. Mine, my path comes from finance and tech. So I've worked mm. at Microsoft, I've worked at Intel. Um, 20 years ago, I founded an e-commerce company and I ran that for 10 years. So that was the one of the fastest, it was the fastest growing retail company in Oregon at the time. Um, so that was a lot of fun because I got into e-commerce back when the barriers to entry were pretty low. I wasn't really competing yeah. with Amazon. And so we had a chance to figure it out and had a nice exit from that. So have experience with M&A and with larger venture funding. And um, that was really fun. And then I've also done um, SEO and digital marketing. And then all of that came to a crushing halt when I got cancer and decided that, you know what, it's time to do a reset. Let's think about what really matters. So what really matters is doing what's right for my family. And that's, that's when we founded the farm. Yeah, that's that's yeah. So it, it's 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 so bad, right? I don't know how else to, what other word I can think of in my limited vocabulary, but it's also brings upon so many positive things in so many ways. I've heard countless stories about people finding a call, having that reverse energy for their actually then living a truth to some extent, right? Um, whether it's for their family or even just for themselves. Um, God, it's just so inspiring to hear that. That's why we set up the North American Weed Tour, y'all, is to come across ours. So I can't thank you guys enough for, for jumping on here and sharing this. Now, let's dive into some of the juicy details about the farm. Alibi Cannabis, you guys are in Portland, Oregon. Is that where the grow is? Is that where everything's happening? In Indoor, I would assume? Yep, well, we're indoor, and we're just outside of Portland. So, um, okay. yeah, definitely the metro area. Um, we have a, a, a tier two license, which in Oregon means you're licensed for up to 10,000 square feet of canopy. So that's what we're licensed to produce. We don't have that quite all built out yet, but that's, that's, you know, in the cards for the future. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, indoor cultivation, it's this whole, it's this whole beast with technology and um, equipment and getting your environment right. And that's what we've been working on improving and being the best at for five years does does portland and, and maybe todd maybe you can speak to this because you're from an you know you're a true oregonian out there uh, born you know the whole the whole everything i know the coast has its own microclimates and i'm sure portland has weather that traps there to some extent as well do you notice anything is 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 it a is it a true microclimate out there that you have to have all these different variables does the heat and the cold out there really play into into to the indoor growth situation that you guys have because i know seattle and tacoma when it gets hot, shit gets seedy where we're from. Yeah, I think uh, I think what's uh, pretty difficult for some people out here is dealing with um, um, mildew. Mm. Is that right, Marianne? We kind of, you know, just yeah. just because of the of the moisture in the air, you know, if, if you're like, let's say in the high desert or whatnot, it's not it's not 
nearly as, uh, you know, humidity and whatnot, moisture in the air. So it's not the end of the world. People figure it out, but that's definitely different than maybe Arizona or, or uh, places like that. So, and then if you're dealing with, you know, greenhouse or depth depths or whatnot, a lot of those guys who are in Southern Oregon versus, uh, in the Willamette Valley, they deal with, with more mildew and, and things like that, mold, et cetera, just because of the moisture. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, it, common sense wise, it makes sense. Cause it's just simple. Like, all right, well look at the geography, look at the weather out there, sure. look at what it's known for, right? Seattle, wet, Oregon, also moist and wet and cloudy. You, you're just general common things, but we forget it's like, all right. So then you take the wheat, you're not growing wheat outside out there. This is an indoor grow. Do those same factors still apply? Well, yeah, we're talking moisture in the air, right? We're talking mm -hmm. generally sometimes people tracking in moisture in their clothes or on their shoes situations where it just has variables happen. Now, mm -hmm. For you guys, I want to give the people some perspective of what the Oregon market's currently like. So can you guys shed a little bit of light on, you know, we kind of talked a little bit about it briefly beforehand. It's kind of crazy here in California with the market being down and whatnot. Um, what, what is your what are your thoughts on how Oregon's currently at? And then if you guys have any insights on the data specifically behind that, you know, I don't know if anything has to be a thousand percent accurate, but any insights on what's happening out there would be great. Man, do you want to uh, start and I can continue? Sure, I'll start. Um, you know, every every year, and you know, having been in business for so long, we see trends over time. So every year in the fall, there's always a little bit of a decline before the outdoor stuff comes down, um, or you know, right when the outdoor stuff comes down. And and so there certainly is this cyclical, um, you know, part of the market. This year, it seems to be worse, and whether that's because people are finally getting out of COVID lockdowns and getting back to their lives and not sitting around smoking all day, or whether that's changes in, you know, the black market, I, you know, it's, it's really hard to say. I've been working with a couple of the trade associations in Oregon, trying to come up with some data that we can use to influence legislators because there's currently a producer moratorium. They're not issuing any more producer licenses. So we're trying to come up with the data based approach to have those conversations with um, the legislature. And one of the things that we've discovered is that just with 15% with of the producer licenses, they're already producing triple the amount of flour that is then, they, they have the capacity to produce triple what is what's being sold every month. So there's such an oversupply and such an over licensure that it really, um, you know, and we can't sell outside the state. So it's, you're kind of just stuck with it for now. Yeah. The, the, the big bright path in the future is federal legalization. And once, once mm -hmm. that opens up, then that will completely change the market. But until then, the, the Oregon market, and I think as, as states mature, it just gets more difficult because you get more producers and then they're growing more and there's not, and, you know, we're trying to encourage more consumption, but you know, how, how much is that actually going to take? I don't know. Yeah. At some point you look at the markets and then all these new, like, so like Washington, Oregon, Colorado, at some point it does level out because of population size. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then people all of a sudden look at like these new States coming online, for example, California and Vegas came on or Nevada came on after right? Those other two. And now that's the big shiny object in the country. And then a wave of 10 other States did it a wave of 10 other states did it again after that. And now here we are with damn near 40 states or something like that. And, and excuse me, and territories yep. also approving uh, some form of decriminalization or, or legalization, right? Yep. So, so, so Todd, what, what are your thoughts on, on the market that's going on out there? What, what are you seeing? What have you seen before or the last year or so? What are you seeing now? Yeah, so last year was kind of a banner year, but I think it was an outlier in regards to uh, just the market conditions and COVID and people were stuck in their homes and getting, uh, you know, government checks. And so um, there was kind of more like a run on weed for, for quite, quite a few months. And it was, it was fun, right? It was easier to sell and, and you're getting calls left and right and selling out. Um, but I think a lot of us knew that wasn't going to be, that's not the norm by any means. Um, now I don't, I didn't talk to anyone in, in the game that thought it was going to be as rough as it is right now. Um, you, you mentioned you're from Washington, correct? Yes. So, you know, you're no stranger to um, Washington's no stranger to, to, to pretty affordable and cheap uh, marijuana prices. Right. So yep. I, I kind of, you know, Oregon and Washington have, have been in this game for, for quite some time. 
and we're known for really quality product, but I also think we have, um, I think it's statistically proven that we have some of the cheapest uh, product uh, in the nation, uh, which is sad, you know, when you're producing such high quality product, it is what it is. But I think Marianne, uh, you know, nailed a lot of it in regards to the um, OLCC has allowed too many producer licenses. And I'm all about free markets for sure. But I don't think that there needs to be a, disp- you know, there doesn't need to be more dispensaries in Starbucks, for instance, uh, that causes an, an issue uh, that there's just not enough smokers and customers to to go through and use the uh, the product that's on the market. So it's pretty slow right now. I haven't seen it like this. Um, it is cyclical. And, and, you know, we have the depths that come down and then and then we have the, so the, we have the flood of depths and then we have the, the uh, flood of outdoor. Um, and that's cyclical as well, depending upon the weather for the year. Right. If it has if we get a, if we get too much rain and, and it gets moldy. So it's it's it, you, you never really know. And then you add on top of that, you add on uh, covid and the restrictions versus that are kind of hit or miss all over the place. Um, and then people are kind of running out of the money. Are they getting money? But right now it's it's a it's a it's a definitely a market in flux. Um, it's There's so really many variables changing right all now. the time yeah. right now that it's right hard now to be able to be like, this is happening because mm-hmm. of this. And I'm sure. Right. Yep. yep. And it just makes a borderline impossible. You can like to guarantee anything right now saying A and B happened because of this. Come on. Come I on, do it. There's, there's too much stuff changing all the time. Not to mention, even if things are in place, like you said right now, it's willy nilly in terms of enforcement or consistency and what community, and I don't say this with politics in mind whatsoever, but I physically have gone in a lot of places in COVID. I'm one of the people that traveled, get me for it. It was so inconsistently enforced, not because Mm -hmm. of people choosing one right, left, middle, whatever reason, people didn't know what to do. They really weren't told how to do any of it. It was just new, new rule. Business has got to follow it, figure it out, create an SOP. And oh, by the way, remember to do this every day, all the time and wash it, you know, every couple mm-hmm. hours or whatever, 30 minutes or whatever it is. I ain't never seen anybody do it like on my clockwork at any place I've ever been. Big retailer, small retailer, it doesn't make a difference. Like, sure. And Oregon, Washington, I think they've had, you know, they've been pretty clamped down in terms of a lot of that kind of stuff compared to some of the, the some cities. I'm sure Southern Oregon is different compared to some of the me- bigger metro cities. Um, sure. It's just generally the case, like across America, big cities operate differently than smaller areas. So like, I'm sure there's some, to some extent, you know, to some respect that's impacting cannabis sales across the board. Now delivery is deliver. People don't know. People think there's delivery out there. There's not delivery. What's the situation with delivery going on in Oregon right now? There is delivery. Delivery is, is uh, allowable. There are licenses that do deliver. Um, nice. Yeah, it's, it's, it is available. There are a couple of companies that, that kind of capitalize on it or some dispensaries or whatnot. Um, yeah, for sure. So you guys have products that people can order, you know, and get it straight to their home kind of thing already on some of those menus or? Yes, a few. Uh, if, I, if I sell to the right uh, organizations, they, the, you know, one in particular that I uh, recall, and, and we do a little bit of business with them. They, they, uh, they have a delivery menu for sure. That's dope. See, when I was yeah. in Oregon out there, I didn't know that's a thing. So big shout out to you guys. Had no idea. Learned something new today. Today's years yeah. old when I found out Oregon really has delivery in place. Shout out to that. Um, for you guys, do you have, not to say you guys got to name some of your go-to uh, dispensaries or favorites or whatever, but wh- where do you guys personally shop is like, oh, if I'm going to go run and grab something real quick, you know, can we shout out some one of those little places for each of y'all real quick? Yeah, for sure. You know, um, try to, there's a lot of big, lot of chains out here. So, you know, mm-hmm. Nectar's a big, big one. Uh, there's one right by my house. So I think it's, it's also just kind of demographic where you're at. Um, yep. uh, there, there's tons of shop, you know, the, one, of, one of my a little shop that I really like that, that has, has supported us well is uh, Canabros. Mm. Um, they're, they're, they're in multiple, multiple locations. Um, I have to stop by and see them. I've been to the Nectar ones before. We've worked with them in the past. Big fan of their branding. Right away, they came into the rec market out there with really strong, clean branding and, ex- and experience at their stores. Um, I think they've exploded now across the state um, from what I hear. Um, yeah, their stores are their stores are beautiful. They do a really good job. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, my and you know to add on to what Todd said, you know he mentioned Canabros. Another one of my favorites is Khalifa. They've got yep. a couple mm. shops right around the Portland area, and um, they've 
been uh, really good customers of ours since the beginning, really support us. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. When I need something, I like to you know, reciprocate because, hey, if I want, you know, a cart or whatever, or, or some edibles, that's that's where I go. Absolutely. Yeah, they've been fantastic. And I'll, and I'll uh, interrupt as well. So I'm from actually from Bend, Oregon, and I have to shout out to Tokyo Starfish out there. Out there. Those guys have been uh, fantastic. I love their branding. Um, they do a really good job with, with what they're doing, and they're just really fantastic people to work with. So it, for, for me, and I've always ran the, ran the sales this way, it's about, um, you know, loyalty as, as well as just as treating, treating them as, as I would like to be treated. And it yeah. takes a while to build. It's, it's a lot, it's a, for me, it's a, sales is about relationships. And so that really means a lot, you know, when, when they get, even in tough markets, when, when uh, people will still order from you. Um, because it's easy when it's easy, but when it's tough, sometimes you got to help each other out. And so, uh, the shops that have been loyal and there's m many, many more than that, um, that, that really helps us out as a business. And I, and I think I, hopefully it helps them out to have a, a quality and consistent supply chain also. Hey man, I, I know when I was running a dispensary and helping, you know, coordinate some of the, the, the buying and the marketing of it and then buttoning on the floor to have the different like to have a brand that has a story, to have a brand that has meaning behind it, to have a brand that has a team that cares, it's doing it for the right reasons. Every one of those little things helps, man. Every one of those I little things so. really starts to add up. The loyalty yeah. aspect that you're talking about. Myself was a sales rep today for buddies. I can't tell you often enough how disrespectful it could possibly be to be told like, man, you're the homie. I want to build with you. This is a long-term thing. And then the person across the street calls and you're the quickest person to say yes. That, sure. Now, again, business is business, but relationships is business. And yeah. so we always have to really consider the impacts of those kinds of, you know, those kinds of things. And in a market like Oregon that is extremely saturated, you know, you got to really be different. You got to do stuff that sets you apart. And as a brand aligning and having those kinds of morals and just staying behind that kind of stuff, that is one of those things that sets you apart. Now, this next question I have for you, Marianne. What would you say from, I'm going to start, this is going to be like a, maybe a multi-part question for you because uh, I'm really interested in some of these. I'm a, I'm a smoker. I'm a user. Right? I'm a patient. So I'm interested in hearing what sets Alibi Cannabis apart for patients and then what sets, can, what sets Alibi Cannabis apart as a true high-end cannabis cultivation group? Yeah, those are great questions. Um, and there's a couple ways that we set ourselves apart. Um, number one is consistency. We There are some strains that we have grown since the beginning. So we over time, you get to be really good at, at growing them. And we have a cultivation team that does an amazing job. Our head of cultivation is great. And he really knows how to um, maximize the the what a strain can produce. So okay. like Rainbow Crush, um, has been around, we've been selling it for five years and patients love it. It helps, you know, with nausea, it helps with pain. It's one of these things that's really sedative. So people use it at night if you're having trouble sleeping and having the experience growing the plant for that long, we just, we really produce the same thing every, I mean, it's, it's kind of like Groundhog Day every month. So it's the same thing over and yeah. over. But as a patient, that's what you need. You don't want to be like trying something new. It's like, I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know if it's going to, you know, keep me up. If it's going to like, how is it going to react with my body? So on the patient side, the consistency is important. And then just as a, as a consumer, I think that the other side of what we do is we have a bunch of new strains that we're, we've been testing things for the last couple of years and we have some new stuff that's coming out. And so it's also being nimble and um, being able to respond to the market if, you know, if stuff, you know, if there's some cool genetic or some some cool cultivar that people are asking about, like, hey, we can we can test it out, throw it in the lineup, and you know, three months later or you know, six months later, we've we've got it on the shelf. That's super dope. Like, and I see I have a list here of some of the strains. Right, the you guys are known for. We've got a grape octane. We've got a Kamala oh, yeah. Kush. See a black cherry soda, London pound cake, and then Durban Poison, one of my actual favorites originally. A lot of people start off as sativas as a way to get introduced to weed. Mm -hmm. And then they also, depending on their regional location, they feel like they get introduced to, you know, exotics or Gorilla Glue, Blue Dreams, you know, classic flavor profiles, the piney, you know, yeah. lemony, you know, all, whatever they can recognize off the top, right? Yeah. And so for you guys, is, do you guys grow, 
Um, <clears throat> one thing I've noticed that people in cannabis, their businesses do is they, they, uh, if they came from this, this medical or this traditional market era, they get into this recreational situation and they're just trying to maximize what they have. They're trying to just take advantage of whatever they currently have for their resources, whether that's finances or assets or businesses, whatever it is, right. Or, or like their cultivation sites, et cetera. For you guys, when you guys got into the rec side of things, um, was it about maximizing the cultivation and the canopy? Was it about producing the best strains for that consistency thing? Were you really, are you growing to fill a product at a specific price point? Talk to me about some of those key little aspects um, that really make, you know, that potentially make up a lot of brands in some way. Yeah, I'll start and then Todd can add, but it's, it's really all of that. Um, the, the challenge is to grow the best quality at an affordable price. We, we do not want to be the most expensive thing on the shelf because I would rather be mid-priced, you know, mid to high price, but not the most expensive because I would rather, I would rather get in people's homes and have, have them appreciate the flower as opposed to, you know, being the Gucci or the whatever, you know, it's, that's, that's not, that's not who we are as a Absolutely. company. I don't, you know, need to be driving BMWs and like, we're not the flashy kind of jewelry kind of people. So are we doesn't, you know, we don't sell it that way is this is, this is high quality for the average person. And um, that's a really important value to us because it's, it's, it's who we are and that's who we want to sell to. Um, Absolutely. Staying true and authentic to what, to what you guys stand for. Yeah. The other side of that though, is that building an indoor cultivation facility is really expensive. So trying to figure out ways that we can set up standard operating procedures and use um, a lean team and setting up efficiencies so that we can can still be a profitable business and yet um, you know provide everything that we want so there's yeah. there's always push pull it's like how much do you want to invest versus what what you want to get on the other side but you know that's part of the conversation and that's that's what building a business is all about making those making those decisions a lot of yeah. different ways to build these businesses and and to do it in a way that maintains all the things you care about is some of the hardest stuff in the game. For sure. It is, it is, it is difficult to stay true, uh, true to, to your values. Um, and she, you know, she, she mentioned yield as, as well, you know, it's all about shelf space. And so you're dealing with yield and then you're also dealing with test scores out here, which is, you know, I don't know that that's a big thing. I've never, I haven't seen that change in, in, in any, in any market. I wish it would. I've been yep. in, in the, like I said, we, we've both been in the game for quite some time and, and you'd like to see it change um, because bigger is not always better, you know, but it, we live here in America and it just, it's hard to, for some, whatever reason, you know, it's a, the, the higher the number must be better. Um, so, you know, we, we, we do try to, we do try to strain hunt uh, for, for higher test scores as well, but you know, that, that's kind of silly. Um, it, it, I don't, you know, you get the, you get what I'm saying. So, uh, but yeah, then I right feel now. like you strain hunt to do that, which means you then change up your core cultivation practices. And, and well, you can. Create it's super hard. Berries. It's really hard, as you know. Yeah. It's really, really hard to find those A plus winners. And so, right now, we're uh, we're we're shifting to um, some more exotics, and uh, we're really focusing on quality. We've always focused on quality, but uh, Mary and I are in in, in this marketplace, um, and and it's who we are anyway, and in our brand, but. We, we're really focusing on quality and also growing more cultivars because uh, you can't get away with uh, X amount of one strain because the sell-through rate is just too slow right now. So rather than having, you know, so instead of having two options, I need to have four to five to six so I can hit those shops every single month and they can, and they might not buy all four to six or that, but they might be like, Hey, I ran through this one or Hey, you didn't have this one last month. I'll take that. So yeah, more flavor. You options. just have you, more flavor options as well as uh, we're coming out with a joint line. Um, so with, with, with our bee buds or our, our high quality flower, which will have high, you know, usually have high testing um, with our new branding. Uh, and then we're also part, we partner with, uh, we're going to be doing some edibles as well. Nice. So just kind of, just kind of like, you know, casting a wider net rather than just flower. Flower is fantastic. We love it, but to stay alive right now uh, and stay relevant uh, we think it's really important to just have more SKUs. Um, so are as you well guys as launching the, yeah. those individual SKUs just through your menus or are those collaborations with brands? 
So the joints will be our, our, you know, ours alone, which I'll sell. Yep. And then we're going to do some collabs with, uh, with, um, for the edibles. And we already do collabs with our trim with uh, another killer company out there. It's Northwest kind out of bend. They nice. treat us very well. Um, I got to give a shout out to green Mart as well. Uh, today's herbal choice and smooth roots. And there are a couple other dispensaries that have just been fantastic to deal with, um, homies from the get. So, um, yeah, some collabs and then just also launching some things on our own. I'm really excited about the joint line. I think it's going to do very well. That's exciting. I'm a big, I'm a big believer in having the variety of the items myself, you know, here, part of the sales offerings that I have vapes, dabs, capsules, all these different things, a little flower here and there. It's, it becomes an expected part of the cannabis industry to do BOGOs, to do mm -hmm. 20 to 40% off sales all the time on email blasts things and text blast things and delivery menus and express menus and pickup menus and curbside menus. There's so <laughs> many different things I'm getting pitched all the time. If we have the money, we can play. If we don't have the money, it's hard to be a part of it all. But I bring that up because pre-rolls are always one of the better performers. It's one of mm -hmm. the top three selling categories at any time on dispensaries things, uh, on their on their sales things. It's super important to be able to have that on your menu. And I'm excited because I like Durban pre-rolls. Even when a Durban pre-roll or a Durban uh, like flower gets older, it's still a racy strain all sure. the way until it converts into CBN. So it's yep. got, uh, like, you have that, you have that big, look at that classic sativa nug, everybody. Mm -hmm. People that are tuning in here, I know there's, there's uh, right now, there we go. We got a couple people coming in watching this. Look at this sativa nug, nice and long, nice and thin, reaching up to the top. Uh, I'm sure that's piney, lemon, uh, lemony, got the nice terpenoline mm -hmm. smell, that sour skunk. Um, yeah. Durban is a classic uh, Landrace sativa coming. I believe it comes uh, out of Africa. Now, this leads me to my next point for you guys. Talk to me about the cultivars. You mentioned that earlier. You're trying to have a variety of options. How did you guys select the strains that you're most known for? So we've done really well with a kind of proprietary strain, Rainbow Crush, which took off. Um, it, and the reason is it's because it works every single time. People love it. It looks good. It's got pretty good bag appeal, but it's so stony. It just does what it's supposed to do. So people just love it. It does test well, but I'm sure you've smoked weed that's 33%. That's, that you're like, you know what? This 22% uh, got me higher type thing, right? Mm -hmm. So Rainbow Crush is a, has been a staple for many, many years, but you can't just continue to grow. You know, you, if you ate hamburgers every day, you'd get sick eating hamburgers type thing. So uh, we, we crossed that proprietary genetic with... Um, a couple other genetics so we're, we're coming out uh, right now in the R&D room. Actually, it's, it's in cure right now. We have a lava crusher, which is a rainbow crush with lava cake. So okay. it's kind of got, it's kind of purpley and got, you know, more gassy, which is cool. It's, got, still that, it's got that footy, woody, lavendery, gassy funk, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and they, hopefully it'll still have that killer high from the, from the, uh, you know, the crush. And then we have a, we crossed the rainbow GMO and then we're Ooh. doing some other things with, um, just so like a lava cake, some Cushman's, you know, which, which is nothing proprietary, but it looks, it's just, like I said, we're really going for, for that bag appeal, that blinged out appeal. We have a purple runts, which is looking really dope. Uh, pink rosé, uh, a GMO glue. That's a killer one. That's a GMO glue cross. And that thing is bomb. So um, I'll yeah, tell you what, we're, we're I'll tell you what I, was, I don't know what came, what, what, what changed this year in 2021. I did not like GMOs. For the most part, I don't like the most garlicky GMO strains. Sure, yeah. But I've been getting GMOs that are less garlicky phenos and more fruity garlicky phenos. And that, to me, is the more palatable one for the majority yep. of customers that I've seen. For whatever yep. like, And again, I'm in L.A. I'm just speaking from what I've heard. So sue me if you don't like me. But not everybody likes GMO garlic. I wasn't – I didn't think – I thought for, my, for a while I felt like I was the only one speaking out on it and then i started finding it like damn people are crossing it with these glues people are crossing it with runs people are crossing it with these gelatos and the flavor profile is becoming much sweeter and so yep. for you for yours talk to me about some of these the, the flavor profiles in some of these strains what were you going for with some of them 
So some of them are so new, I can't even, you know, really even mention that because it's, I haven't even, we're kind of excited to smoke them. And I have actually have a tropical gelato in there as well. That's, that's a, really a baby. So I haven't seen it uh, flower out oh yet. Oh my gosh. But, these are, exclusive. But, you know, these are RMR exclusives you're dropping here right now. Oh my gosh. Yeah, here maybe, we go. Maybe a little bit, cannabis but, in the building. <laughs> so, you know, we're, our whole team is, is we've been, we've been running a lot of the same things like Durban for so long and it's not sexy but not many people run sativas and it's time to change it up. I personally love to smoke a Durban. It's a fantastic high, but uh, I'm excited to offer the marketplace some more uh, blinged out sexy strains. Um, you know, I I'm excited to sell something new just as you are when you get new drops, I'm sure. Oh yeah. Where did you guys, uh, did you have local breeding partners for those as clones? Did you do those from seeds and pops like Cushman's? Did you pop that from Sea Junkie? Uh, where did, where did you guys get some of these, these cultivars? Yeah. So the, the rules here, you have to, uh, either do it in house, right. Or you have to get it from farms. You have to, you have to basically stay within the pool, within the system. Yep. So, uh, we, we are, uh, we're sticklers to the rules and that's what we do. So we've, we've crossed, uh, a lot of them ourselves. And then we, we have the homie hookups in the game and we kind of stay within those rules. Love it. Love it. Love yep. it. Love it. Cause, cause I know organs, organs pretty, you know, I say pretty Oregon is in Washington. Both have real, real been known to to follow through on. I think they went and went after cookies a little bit for bringing all their genetics in all these different states. But I don't know how someone can do that. But respect to respect to to them and what they do because they do their thing and they get a lot of the genetics and they created a lot of the stuff you know that we that we've all been a part of and blessed to use. Now I've I've actually been down to, to the uh, the archive genetics group. Uh, I think they're yep. down there in Oregon too, correct? They're fantastic. Yeah, I know the owner. Nice. He's mm -hmm. super good guy. Fantastic. I, I smoked I smoked a couple phenos of that Moonbow and the pre rolls, and oh my gosh! And not only you know what was crazy, a fifteen or sixteen dollar pre roll in Oregon of that is one thousand times better than a California twenty two dollar pre roll. Oh my gosh. Yep. Those guys, those guys do work. Um, he's a, he's a great dude and they put out really good product and, and you can, you know, they, they do sell a lot of their clones. And so they offer up their genetics to the marketplace, which is really killer. So for you guys, are you guys, do you guys offer a, a clone program or have plans to do anything like that? How do you guys explain, potentially expand the brand beyond you have men, you mentioned the, uh, the edibles and the pre-rolls and more flower strains and things like that. Do you have plans for other types of products and things potentially? Yeah, so those are those are the big ones, and you know I'm really excited about the edible options. We're um, going to be doing a gummy with our grape octane trim, so it's going to be a grape kind mm -hmm. of flavored gummy, and that's the collab. And nice. um, I'm really hoping that leads to to uh, the company that we've chosen to collaborate with has a really good reputation. They're really good guys, so I'm excited that that turns mm -hmm. into something um, to something more. They they have a super creative product development team, and who knows where it's going to take us. So really the you know, the future is kind of endless on that. And then the pre-rolls, we have also a bunch of ideas, you know, doing different flights of, um, you know, different cultivars in the pre-rolls, different packaging. Um, we got to get the first ones out to market and then. Uh, then uh, explore some of the yeah. other options. Yeah. yeah. The but infused ones and all the different things is going to yeah, be, yeah. it's going to be an exciting really time. Cool. That's dope. Yeah, and I, that, and that, sure. that's the fun. That's the fun growth of right now. Now, you know, in these in these more troubling times, that's when the creativity tends to get brought. Right. A little bit of pressure makes mm -hmm. people, you know, with the right talent and the right skill sets and the right experience really, you know, we shine. And it's exciting, you know, discovering you guys, you know, in our outreach. And so it was super dope that, you know, again, really appreciate it for you guys to be here. Good time for everybody watching, tuning in, whoever decides to uh, watch this and stream this afterwards, please. Be sure to tap in, like, follow, subscribe. Go give Alibi Cannabis a follow. Give them a Google search right now. Visit their website. Follow all their social medias. Can you guys go ahead and just shout out a quick social media uh, profile tag or something while we're we're a little over halfway through? So I want to make sure we we at least do some appropriate social coordination. Yep, our website's alibicannabis.com. We're on Instagram, Alibi Cannabis. Pretty easy to find. And if anybody wants to connect with me, um, I'm on LinkedIn. Also pretty easy to find. Marianne Kersiji. Everybody I'm, get on, I'm LinkedIn. on LinkedIn. Also, yep. Todd Meredith LinkedIn. LinkedIn. As well. there we go. Yep. Perfect, perfect, perfect. All right. So my next question is more about the cult, the the cultivation. I kind of covered a little bit of the genetics, tiny bit, but let's talk about some of the growing practices. So I know the Pacific Northwest is real big on you know more of a sustainable situation in terms of cultivation. So if you guys wouldn't mind kind of walking us through your guys's 
general style or methodology. You don't have to give us your, you know, your pH balances and your timings <laughs> and your cycles, but whatever you guys are willing to share, we would love to just, you know, shed some light so the customers can get an idea beyond just, yeah, we grow indoor weed, you know? Yeah. Um, one of the, the key things is, um, so first of all, I want to give credit to our head of cultivation because it's yeah. really his system and it's, um, he's a monster. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's been able to do this, um, you know, with a very lean team that, so while I'm speaking, don't, don't ever think that I would be the, the one who's actually, I mean, I'm in there a lot, but, but this is, this is not, you know, my, 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 uh, what I bring to the table. But one of the things that we do is we uh, only grow in soil. You know, okay. a lot of people take their cuttings, take their clones and doing, you know, they'll do it in, you know, all kinds of different media. But we start the, the idea is that the plants, when they start in soil, they finish the soil, they're happier all the way through and happier plants give us better yield and better flower. So everything that we do is, is when we touch, all the plant touching stuff is about what's best for the plant. So while we set up a schedule and we have, um, you know, uh, things that need to happen at certain times, it's really looking at the plant at, um, and it's figuring out, okay, what are the nutrients it needs today? What, what's mm -hmm. the environment need to be today? And so that's how we're able to, to do it. It still is, it still is very handcrafted, even though we're a lean team and we put out a fair amount of flour, it's, it's still every cultivar gets gets its own special love, gets its own nutrient blend, gets its own environment, and that's you know that's our secret sauce. Love it, hand trimmed, hand trimmed, hand trimmed always, always, always. I know people were waiting, like I wonder if he's gonna say, and I was like, I gotta ask. Him. Oh yeah, it's assumed, <laughs> but generally, they, generally it always is these days, especially indoor craft craft companies. Um, so I did, I did mention, um, I did, you know, we talked a little bit about the genetics. For you guys, is there was there any one source? Is there anybody that you can shout out in terms of where some of the stuff came from for the Oregon market, just to show some love to the culture or community out there? You know, I don't like I said, we it's just it's it, no one would know them because they're just players in the game, you know, just, just friends sense. or or it's kind of like you know, like uh, you know, it's you not, that's not like market. a big clone company. That, no, that, no, no, no. There's no clone companies. I was gonna. This is a really bad example. You might have like a black market person or whatnot. You know, that you're like, oh, it's his name's Mister. You know, whatever the hell and. It's like yeah, so. Yeah. I might I might say a guy's name, and they'll be like, "Who?" So it's just other pe other rec dudes in the in the game, or or um, you know, we we we've done some stuff in house. Um, our guy's name is Chris, and he's got I think he's got twenty six years experience, and so he's just been, uh, you know, we're we're it's like we're a three legged stool for sure, and we all do nice. our jobs really well. And so the, the one thing that's really helped this team is is there's really no ego it, and i and i see that sometimes in the cannabis game not to talk shit but it's uh we all just kind of do our jobs well and we're all we all try to stay very open to continuous learning and life yeah. in general but i think in this in this cannabis game as as things kind of ebb and flow you have to be willing to have those hard con hard conversations or or chris has been fantastic in regards to being able to pivot uh when i see things on the sales side and then Marianne, Marianne has, has always been very trusting. Um, and so we have a lot of trust in our team and we work very well together. We have, you know, we can communicate and it's not always perfect, but we, we get through the hard times and we, we push forward as a team. And that's been uh, a real blessing for sure. And, and, you know, I've seen a lot of cannabis companies blow up uh, because they can't have those hard conversations. And um, we've been uh, pretty fortunate that, that uh, we, we just communicate very well. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I wasn't, I just wasn't sure how, how that market worked out there. I've, I've heard, you know, in Washington, you got, you know, there's places to get people, there's businesses specifically that grow that and do that kind of stuff. And then in, I think in, in each there of the are. different states, I'm sure that there's different groups that do that. And so just I, a little I can, bit of insight on that, okay. even like yeah. that perspective sure. to know that you can still execute it in that regard. There's enough players yeah. and people out in the industry to just build relationships with 26 years in the game out there and, and still providing, you know, stable clones to be able to provide, uh, you know, enough opportunity and product for a major player out there. That's huge. So big shout out to that gentleman and his team and you guys for, for operating with that. Um, and, and you know, what? I'll, I'll weigh in on that. You're right. So there are a bunch of clone companies and they do a fantastic job. Um, we just uh, feel like to, to, to keep a competitive edge, uh, if mm. you'll even want to call that or just an edge at all, uh, we try to have uh, more in-house genetics or, 
or it, you know, if, if you can get genetics of 10 or 20 different people can get the genetics from the same place, it's like, you know, then you, all of a sudden you have yeah. 20, 20 different farms showing up with the same bags. And so that's, it's, it makes it a difficult job, especially when the, when the market's so crowded. So that's why we choose not sense. to go that direction. Not, nothing against those companies. They, there's some companies doing fantastic work out there and they're doing, uh, and they're very consistent and they're efficient uh, and, and they provide clean clones. So that, that's a, uh, it's a cool business model for them. Super. Yeah. Yeah, and it provides some perspective to the, to the organ market as well. Again, not everybody who, uh, who's in the, who's a customer understands that you guys are getting, getting cuts or cutting, you know, cutting clones yourself off of mothers or even really understands part, that whole part of the cultivation process. Yeah. That's um, how we do it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's and huge. The other thing is that um, if we were to, to get all of our, I mean, some farms do this is they just buy clones and flower them, but then you're always playing catch up. You're always like trying to copy somebody or trying to follow somebody. And for me, that's just not a way to run a business. I'm, I would rather, you know, take a risk and try to do something else because we have to create a name for ourselves and create our own brand and our own, you know, people, we want people to know them, to know our, our flower for us and what we bring to it. It's, it's not, Oh, Hey, look at this. And I, I grew it better than the next guy. It's check out this whole, whole variety. That's so funny that you say that too. Cause I feel like it gets so it's a slippery slope into, Oh yeah. Like this is our version of gelato. This is yeah. our version of this. This is our version of that. Instead of, Oh yeah. Like we have a strategy and we're doing it, you know, yeah. like this is what we're about and we're able to incorporate some of those things into what we do. Um, this isn't our version of anything. This is what we've been doing and we put in our spin on a little bit of fun trends. You know what I mean? It's just a different, you know, different when you have kind of control your own destiny in that regard, which yeah. that yeah. leads and me and to my next. say we haven't done part. that. You know, we have purchased, you know, we have, uh, you know, shout outs to, to some pharmacists. We have purchased some genetics in the past and it's just, it's not something we do on a regular basis. That's all. You, you, you try different avenues, right? And six, that's all. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So being, being that you guys have a very targeted, you know, I would say style cultivation, the business relationships, how you guys choose to operate in the community, you know, being loyal to those, a lot of those initial people, partners as well, but shout out to the retail partners and the bud tenders. For you know sure. Yeah. Um, from the, you know, what are your thoughts on like the company vision as a whole? Maybe, you know, you don't have to recite the mission statement, but what are you guys really about? What is some of those key core concepts that you guys started the company and founded it on? And then what really gets, you know, uh, uh, that, that lean team that you guys have, like, you know, what are you guys maintain, like, you know, culture wise every day with that team? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, one of the things that is so fundamental to, to our operation is how we treat people. And we've, we've sort of touched on this already, you know, the way Todd treats the people at the shops, you know, he tries to build relationships with them and we don't treat it as a transaction, like, Hey, come and, you know, pick up a few pounds and see a, see you later. It's actually about building a relationship and figuring out what people want. And so that shows in the sales process, it shows up on the purchasing side when we, you know, buy supplies and it shows up with our employees. So, um, all of our, you know, our, um, all our full-time employees get health insurance. They get PTO. Um, this is not some sort of sweatshop where we just like, you know, you work them to death and then you kick them to the curb. And I've heard of plenty of farms that do that. And I'm not going to talk smack about anybody specifically, but, but, you know, we've, we're building this for our families and for, for what we can bring to the market. And so I want to treat our employees and everybody with the same respect that I would expect um, them to give me. And, and sometimes it's hard because there's people that screw you. There's people that talk smack. And, you know, at the end of the day though, how we respond, it just makes us stronger and it just makes us better because we just, we'll just always think about it and be like, okay, what's the right thing to do? And that's, that's what we bring to every decision of, well, should I, you know, go off and do something that's callous or hold on, let's think a minute, let's do what's right. And that's, that's what we try to do. And not to say that we're perfect and all that, but, but there's so much shadiness in the, in the business that um, we just are not going to be a part of. And, you know, we've had to, we've had to fire vendors. We've had to fire customers like, Hey, if you guys are being, you know, doing stuff that, that we don't, that, isn't adding to the industry, then we don't, we don't want to do business with you. Yeah. The, what, what do they say? You 
you got to be a cannabis citizen first. Mm-hmm. You got to be a good cannabis citizen. You got to be a good person, a good human. Doesn't necessarily have to mean we got to agree on everything, but for a lot of things, that does mean we got to agree and at least see in the same direction because yep. it's about being a good person in today's days. It is about doing what's right. It is about, to some extent, it is about what's better for the community and the culture and being a little bit more forward thinking than a lot of the old stuff we've been doing for a long time. No specifics could be for anything, could be sustainable growing. I'm talking about could be damn near anything else. Right. But yeah. you know, the, the reality is, is that when you, know, you guys are very mission focused, and I appreciate you guys for, for doing things like that. Uh, what kinds of things do you guys do in the community? Do you guys do uh, different kinds of holiday drives or participate in some of those kinds of different programs that are out there? Or uh, what kinds of stuff has Alibi Cannabis traditionally done to be, you know, really part of the community? Yeah, we definitely support stuff. Um, um, as a farm, it's we're a little bit limited on the things that we can do, but we definitely mm-hmm. support the shops um, and the bed tenders. Um, Todd can probably speak to some of the other things that we've, you know, the effort, other efforts that we do, but, you know, like you're saying, holiday drives, you know, food bank type stuff, definitely support all that. And, and the, um, taking care of bud tenders, that's, that's also a big part to the, to the extent that we're able as a, as a brand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, there's some shops like in Mary times doing some good stuff or cosmic Treehouse has been fantastic for us. Um, and they're, and they're going around starting, you know, there's, there's a, a large homeless issue going on here and, and uh, I don't know the answer to it, but I think inaction is definitely not action. And so they're going around and, and cleaning up and taking some weekends here and there and kind of saying, hey, if no one's going to do it, let's do it ourselves. And so um, supporting, uh, you know, group efforts like that or, you know, I have, I have a daughter. So getting her out here and, and saying, hey, we're going to go do this on a weekend and just, you know, to kind of give back to the community. Um, it, it does matter. Uh, you know, those of us who have been in the cannabis game for long enough, you know, the right guys, you kind of have this specific, for me, at least I have a, a heart and I have these morals and values kind of moral compass. And uh, I, that's how Marianne and I have built this company in regards to, like you said, treating our employees, health insurance, uh, pay, um, time off, uh, you know, that stuff all matters. Cause at the end of the day, um, who, what else matters? You know, money's great and whatnot, but at the end of the day, it's, it's, can you sleep at night if you, if you're a good person? And, uh, and, and so we really kind of run and run our lives like that. And it's tough. It's really tough when markets are tough and the prices are down or whatnot. And, and, and all the dispensaries are trying to get the lowest price weed, which I understand, like you said, it's business is business too, but the winners shine through when they say, Hey, Todd, I'll, 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 uh, you've been with me since, since day one through the highs and lows, uh, Hey, Alibi, you know, uh, we'll intake your product because they know that I'm not going to gouge them on the high side and they'll take care of me on the low side. That means a lot to me at the end of the day. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's, that's man, the, 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 the power of the relationships when you're actually building in the community with them, the, I've been a part of some cleanups here and LA is dirty. Seattle. Oh, dirty. for real. Portland, I'm a been a I've been a tourist there. Gets dirty pretty quick depending (laughs) on where you're at, which is pretty standard again in major cities, right? So it's it's one of those things where when you can actually partner up, go out in the community, do some things. Uh, I I love that you go out there with uh, with your daughter to do that. My dad brings my little sister out to stuff like that for better or for worse, whether it's Mm -hmm. hard lessons or just to have fun. I think I think that's that's it's part of understanding the sacrifice of being a better person for the community. I feel like. Uh, that moral compass you mentioned. Now, Marianne, you're uh, you've been through a lot to 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 get into this cannabis space. Uh, you're a woman in the space, the cannabis industry traditionally known white males, a lot of guys, a lot of rich white dudes, a lot of just all kinds of people encroaching in and doing their thing and taking advantage of the space for again for better for worse um, in a lot of aspects. Can you describe for the ladies out there? You know what has it been like becoming a cannabis business owner from a woman's perspective and kind of also too, I asked this question, not from just a bare, like a shedding light on, Oh, I do this. I do that. Like I'm trying to, I want to inspire more people to do it. I have a little sister. What can we, how can we be more inclusive and educational and impactful for, for more, for more women to get into this space? 
Yeah, it is. It is really interesting that that um, women and minority ownership and executive positions in cannabis has gone down the last couple of years. I'm just completely astonished that that the trends are going the wrong way, and I don't know why. Um, and it is very weird, like being in meetings and I look around and I'm like, you know, one of the only women, and it's you know all these bearded dudes, bearded white dudes. Um, <laughs> you know, we're in so most of the guys are like big beards. Um, but um, so if I let all that stuff go to my head, I think it it could lead to, you know, bad business issues and decisions and just not not being a good in a good headspace. Yeah. But fortunately, um, because I've been doing entrepreneurial stuff for such a long time, that stuff doesn't, it doesn't really get to me. It doesn't bother me. I don't sit around, look around the room and say, oh, yeah. you know, so-and-so. I don't compare myself to anybody. I just compare myself to me and figuring out, okay, am I, am I getting better every day? Oh, what did I learn from that situation? Maybe I should have handled it a different way. Like, oh, okay. So I can learn, learn from it and, and go forward. And one of the learnings that I think is an important thing for women, and I have two daughters, is that it's sometimes women and young girls are not taught to speak up. Mm. And, you know, it's it's not so blatant as go hush, you know, hush, go sit in the corner, but but it sort of is. And so learning how to find your voice and and recognizing that your voice matters and not being afraid to say, hey, I have an idea, let's talk about this. Or, hey, what if we did it this way? Um, regardless of what situation you're in, I think that that's an empowering message for every girl and every woman is use your voice. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't be afraid of it. Use your voice. I love that. The power of, 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 of that goes, it, honestly, it just transcends cannabis at the end of the day, right? Uh, not only in today's society and the world that we live in or the communities that we all are, are living, that what we're trying to do in the world, the kinds of people that we're trying to have impact on that are going to come after us. Um, just the power of that. Use your, use your voice. Alibi cannabis. Uh, you know, you guys, I've, I've actually honestly learned, been able to learn a lot and been inspired tonight as well from, from the power of this conversation, because not only did I not know that delivery was already rocking, like that's a mm -hmm. mind blowing whole thing for a lot of people is like that's popping up there in Oregon low-key um, but even again to be inspired to, to continue to help other people um, how, how does how do people how do people get involved um, with supporting the things that you guys do in the community is it best on Instagram is it best on Twitter Facebook or you know email what, what's the best way for people to stay tapped in with what you guys are doing yeah, we do have an email list. Um, so if you go to our website, um, there's a subscribe button. And also from the link tree on Instagram, there's also a subscribe button. We try to keep um, people updated there. Instagram stories are always a good place. Um, you were talking before about charity um, efforts. And I just wanted to, this is not a, a business thing, but it's a personal thing. And since we've talked about all kinds of things, I just want to do a shout out. There's another organization that I'm on the board of, and I feel very passionately about. It's called the Children's Center. Mm -hmm. And every state has rules about um, child abuse. And so these there are these places where kids go when they've had some traumatic event happen to them. And so that's what I'm passionate about helping. So creating safe places for kids to get taken care of. And, yeah, you know, it's, it's a little bit challenging from a business perspective because you know cannabis is obviously not marketed to children but yeah. we are all part of the same community and so while we are not alibi cannabis can't support that overtly i you know taking care of our kids is such an important thing hey you as a leader can still use your voice on platforms like respect my region todd you as well if there's ever anything that you guys are trying to get you know spread more awareness about this is what we're here for man is is to really be able to, to to bridge the gap between real people in the community, fans, whether it's music fans or food fans or whatever it is, you know, whoever happens to watch this or read the articles and things, you know, uh, to, to have them discover that message is, is what it's all about. So again, thank, thank you guys for being here. Before we get on out of here, is there anything that you guys would like to shout out, talk about, highlight uh, for Alibi Cannabis um, that's coming up or that's going on? Check out our new, new strains we've got coming out in shops. Yeah. Um, I'll be yeah. in Vegas. Happy to to uh, 
connect with people in Vegas. I'll bring you a hat. Um, I've got one set aside for you if you want one of these. Thank you. Um, so I'll bring me, that. bring me, bring me some, bring me some, uh, bring me a, bring me a pre-roll. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. How bring me that. that. <laughs> bring me that. What he has right there. That's yeah. what I need. <laughs> There we go. No, we follow yeah. the rules out here, OLCC. You're not going to catch alibi cannabis slipping ever. These guys, they're about mm -hmm. it. There's, this is a good group, you all. So I appreciate you guys so much. Uh, everybody, please, thank you for tapping in. This is episode 35 of the North American Weed Tour. We've got Marianne and Todd from Alibi Cannabis. They're out of Portland, Oregon, man. They've been doing this for, for quite some time. I've got a great selection of strains. They are available across Oregon. I'm going to name some of the strains real quick. Grape Octane. They've got a Grape Octane edible coming out. So, sounds delicious. Black Cherry Soda, London Pound Cake, Durban Poison. They, he mentioned that they've got this Rainbow Crush that they're crossing with a bunch of other stuff coming down. So, man, a lot of really great things in the works. Marianne Todd, thank you for being here. I very much appreciate it. Please do like, follow, and subscribe. And everybody, we will see you on the next episode of the North American Weed Tour podcast. I believe we have another episode coming up man, tomorrow, the next day. I'm not sure. So thank you all again for being here. Have a great thank evening. Thank you. Everybody. Take care. Thank you. Good night.